We've been talking about hope the last number of weeks, and there was a preacher who got up in, in service, and there was a little boy who was over in the front of the, of the pew, and the preacher went on, he was going on about heaven, and what a wonderful place heaven was going to be, and the hope that we have of going into, into heaven. The streets of gold, and how you know, the angels are around, and the saints are around, and oh, it's just going to be a wonderful time. And he concluded his message by asking every, all the members of the congregation, he said, who wants to, raise your hand up, who wants to go to heaven right now? And so all the hands in the congregation went up. Yeah, 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 all but this little boy. He says, don't you want to go to heaven someday? He says, oh, someday, sure. I thought you were getting a load to go up now. <laughs> well, we've got to make sure we have the right hope out there. And we know where we're going with that. Our text for this first part of this series has been coming from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That our hope has a confession. All hope has a confession. But we have to make sure that the hope that we have is Bible hope, word-based hope. Because we are all hoping for something. Some of it's not all that good. But we're all hoping for something. And generally, we are confessing something about that hope. We talked about it last week that many have embraced a negative hope because of circumstances, but not because of the Word of God. We went through the Bible. We looked at some folks that had some negative aspects to their hope. But hope always has a glorious end. Thank God for that. Hope is not always rosy. Hope is not always glamorous. But it is always glorious. Thank God for that. Jesus had the glorious hope of reconciling all to God. But along the way, there was the cross. Along the way, there was the beating. Along the way, there was the betrayal. Not all was wonderful. But in the end, it was glorious. Paul had imprisonment awaiting him. Didn't sound so good, did it? But in the end, he had glory. Peter was so told, when you were young, you dressed yourself. When you get older, someone's going to dress you and you're going to go someplace you don't want to go to. Speaking of when he'd be imprisoned and eventually the death he would have. But it was a glorious end. But sometimes, the way is not always that good. Now, it's a whole lot easier to handle a hard way to a glorious end when you know about it ahead of time. But we talked about it last week that sometimes we don't have warning. Sometimes we're not like the Peters and the Pauls and the Jesus and some others that had warning about what was coming. And they endured it. Sometimes we get some surprises. So we want to take a look at, at some of that. Put in your outline, some promises include some hard aspects along the way to the goal. Others do not. So should we think, so what would, what should we think when they come up? What do we think when hardships come up? There's a lot of times Christians think because this is the promise, this is the goal that I have. When hardships come up, I miss God. I'm not in the right place. I'm not doing something I should be doing. How many times have we thought that ourselves? Or at least met people. Who, who thought that? Elijah spoke God's word. 
Didn't he? But then Jezebel came along and said something he wasn't expecting and he ran. He didn't know about that hardship. That kind of surprised him. John the Baptist, he knew that he must decrease. Didn't he say that? I must decrease, he must increase. He knew about that. He knew about some of the hardships that were going to come along the way, but then when some of the things weren't quite going around the way he thought, he was sitting there in prison and thinking, is this really the Son of God? Send some folks out there. Find out from him. Ask him. Are you really Jesus? Are you really the Messiah? The one that we've been waiting for? And he's the forerunner. He's got some questions going on. You know, it's been a little tough for John. Well, we put this in there too. Just because God warns about some things doesn't mean He warns about all. There are some aspects that you don't know about. And that's alright. Just keep staying there with it. This is Brother Hagin's, one of, one of Brother Hagin's famous quotes. Faith begins where the will of God is known. But here's this part. Trust begins with the unexpected. Trust begins with the unexpected. If you knew to expect it, you're not trusting. You don't have to trust. But boy, when something comes up and you're not expecting it, now you've got to trust. All right, well, God, you said this. Now, I don't know where this came from, but this is what you said. So I'm trusting in your word that it's true. Trust begins with the unexpected. Well, in Genesis chapter 37, we said we we're going to look at someone today who went through some of these things. And this is a familiar story to you. Maybe some of you had thought on this and came up with Elijah and John the Baptist and here Joseph. Now Jacob, now Jacob dwell in the land where, he, where his father was, a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers and the lad was with the sons of Bila, the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. And no one likes someone to bring a bad report, but of course if you don't do the things that bring the bad report, you wouldn't get a bad report made. But we always blame the one who brought the bad report, and surely Joseph maybe could have gone about this a little bit differently, but it is also true that the brothers could have just worked. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a tunic of many colors. It may be true as some have supposed, that Joseph got away with some stuff that maybe the others didn't. That may be true. But it also may not be true. Because Joseph is not a spoiled kid. Joseph is a hard worker. He is a harder worker than any of his brothers. And the reasons he's probably elevated is because he was that much better than any of his brothers. And he was good. He was so good, he would eventually excel with everything that anyone ever put in his, his uh, charge. So it is, not, it is not just his father who interested him. It's also all the other people that came in contact with him. So there is something different about Joseph. He is not a spoiled kid who had everything handed to him. There is something good. And this guy and his father just recognized it. And his brothers felt like they couldn't be as good and got jealous instead of just getting better. You see somebody who's better than you, you can get jealous... Or you can get better. It's your choice. Real competitors love good competition because it pushes them on. You know, we're in the middle of the Olympics. I haven't watched too much of it. Christian had a bunch of friends over, and then we put the, um, I think they called it a hockey game. 
I think that's what it was. It looked like a shooting gallery. Yeah, the U.S. was in there, and before 15 minutes of the game was over, they had a 6 nothing, six nothing lead <laughs> over a good team, too. Now, they've got to go up against the Olympics. You've got to go up against some stiff competition. And it's a whole lot easier to win the medals if you get rid of all the other stiff competition. But then they don't mean anything. You want to beat some people. You want to beat some folks who have some talent and show that I had more. I did better. Joseph is going to compete in an area where there's going to be a whole lot of competition. And he's going to excel. And he didn't do that because his dad gave him everything just because he was the favorite son. But when the brothers saw that the father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. Now Joseph was good, but I don't know that he was necessarily wise because if you, you can tell when people don't like you. And when people don't like you, you don't tell them good dreams that God gives you about yourself. They're just not the people that you share it with. You share it with other people, not them. Surely someone around that, was, that enjoyed Joseph and he could have shared it with those, but he, for some reason, shared it with his brothers. Maybe he felt like, all right, you guys think not so much about me. I want to show you what God thinks about me. Maybe it was one of those kind of things. We don't know. doesn't say. But he had a dream and he told his brothers. Verse 6, So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. Indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to mine. And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? See, they're not, they're not even skilled in the art of dreams and interpretations. They, they even got that. Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Lord, look, look. I have dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. So the first one just involved his brothers, so he just told it to them. The second one involved his parents and his brothers, so he gets everybody to get it. I want you all to hear this. You all going to bow down to me pretty soon. Just, just so you know. Just don't be, let this take you by surprise. You all going to bow down to me. Even you, Dad. What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I... And your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? He probably heard of the first dream and he didn't have any problem with the brothers bowing down to him. That's all right. But don't you get my, your mom and I involved. This isn't good. And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So this dream that he has, has it not implanted a hope inside of Joseph? Was he excited about this? I think if you're going to talk to brothers who don't like you about a dream that has them bowing down to you, you have to have some level of excitement. You have to be looking forward to this somehow. This is, uh, this is good. So he's excited. His thoughts and words were full of expectation because of the dream. I'm sure he's going around talking about, I'm going to rule and reign. I'm going to rule and reign. Yeah, all these folks are going to bow down to me. I'm going to rule. I'm going to reign. God has called me to rule. God's called me to reign. I've got to get ready for that rulership. I've got to get ready to reign. And he's just going around talking about it. And I'm sure that the brothers hated hearing this boy to go around talking about it and being excited about ruling and reigning, especially when it involved ruling and reigning over them. But he had a hope. 
This hope was based on the promise of God that he got through a dream. Verse 12, Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. And he said to them, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. In other words, you know those guys are slackers. Make sure they're doing all right. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. And a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me. Were they... Where are where they are feeding the flocks? The man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now, I think it's particularly neat that they all knew where each other were without email, without text messaging, <laughs> without uh, cell phones, and all the other things that we have to keep tabs on each other. He just overheard them. And then he said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him. Cast him into some pit. We shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. Oh, I'll tell you what. People who don't have dreams, people who don't have hope, people who are not going after something, hate people who do. And they want to pull you down. It doesn't matter if they can get up. They want to pull you down. Oh, we see this so much in our Congress today. They don't want everyone else to rise to a high level. They want everybody pulled down to mediocrity. If you've got stuff, we're going to tax you through the nose. Make sure that you don't rise higher. If you're getting big bonuses, we're going to pull those bonuses and make sure you don't get them because we don't want you to rise higher. However, it seems to me that just about everybody in Congress went in, barely making it, and came out millionaires. How did they do that on the salaries they get in Congress? I wonder. Because they don't make that much. They don't get paid that much. I mean, they get paid something. They get paid more than you and I do, probably. (laughs) But they don't get paid that much more. But they want to dash everyone else's hopes to get there. Unless, of course, you're in certain companies. Certain companies are allowed to get bonuses. Did you hear that being talked about? Certain certain guys, well, uh, we know this person. He's okay. He's okay to get big bonuses. I actually said that. Came right on out. And the folks that get the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, you know, it's a government-owned company. Congress kind of runs that one. And so it's okay that those guys get bonuses. But not these ones over here. That's not right. You should go as far as your skill and your talents allow you to. You know, people want to go out there and look at all these folks in the NBA and the football league and whatever else. I guess hockey players don't make all that. They probably make more than they used to, but... Look at all that and say, how can they get paid all that for doing that? Because they generate money. That's why. If people came and bought $50 tickets, $100 tickets to come see you do what you did, (laughs) then you'd get paid that much money too. (laughs) But they're not doing that so far, are they? (laughs) You show up at work and nobody buys tickets. (laughs) Nobody's coming to see you work. But you got people out there and people come, they pay money. To, to see them work. If you wonder why soccer players, professional soccer players, don't get paid as much as professional football players, it's because people don't pay as much money to go see soccer in this country. Our other countries, maybe that's so. But not here. People pay more money to see football probably than anything else. And what's uh, after that? Probably um, 
Baseball's up there. Short boy, does yeah, they get some excitement. But they work too. 162 games a year. They get like January off. <laughs> Pretty soon they won't have that because the World Series will still be in January. You know, going to be competing. World Series one Sunday, Super Bowl the next. <laughs> it just keeps getting longer and longer. But what they constantly are trying to do, the press gets involved in this too, they want you to get envious because someone else has something that you don't. But the Word of God says don't envy. Don't covet. Don't get into that. Don't don't be over there feeling nasty because this person gets some $100 million bonus or whatever it is that they're getting. So what? If you don't think he deserves it, don't buy the product that company sells. That's all. Nothing else you got to do. If you don't like this company jumping in a plane and going out here and, and, and flying somewhere, don't buy their stuff. They can do it because you buy their stuff. But if you like their stuff, then buy it and they're going to get in planes and fly around places. But don't get envious. Glory to God. Thank God for people succeeding. I'm going to succeed. You should have that hope in there. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to have a plane too. I'm going to do this. Over. Don't be over there taking their stuff away. Be glad. If they're born again, Glory to God. They're bringing that into the kingdom of God. If they're not, that's all they have. I mean, that's all they have. They have nothing else. They got their money. When they go, it's all gone. They got nothing. So don't get out there and get upset about it. Don't get in. Don't fall into that envy that everyone's trying to get people into. We've talked about it in times past. They all want you to be envious of, of cigarette smokers. Cigarette smokers should pay for everything. Because it's a disgusting, dirty habit. Well, you may not like it. I don't like it. I never have smoked a cigarette. But then they, you know, put all this stuff, all these taxes, and these folks are paying all this money for this stuff, and you all think it, yeah, 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 they're cigarette smokers. They should pay. They should pay. You know what? They, well, we've talked about it before. They start targeting bottled water drinkers. They're going to put a tax on bottled water drinkers because you walk around with that bottle, it's going to end up in a landfill or going to, somebody's got to pick it up and all this sort of stuff. And It's all just based on envy. Don't fall into it. Love other folks. They're rich, glory to God. They got a big house, be happy. They got a big car, that's all right. Don't look at your car and say, oh, but I don't, they should pay. For no, they shouldn't. God should bless you, bless you so you can get your own big car. God should bless you so you get your own big house. Stop trying to take the blessings that are on someone else's hands and put it into yours. That's envy. That's the way of the world. That is not the hope of God's Word. And if you're going to get in, stuck in this hope that the government needs to take from the rich to give to you, you have fallen victim to the wrong hope. That is not God's hope. Knock it out of there now. Don't let it fester. God will bless you. And God's got enough to bless everybody. But if you've got this hope that says, well, he blessed them so much, I, there's nothing left for me. Well, that's your hope. And that's what you're talking about. And that's all you'll get is what you got. Because you don't believe there's any more. You don't fall into that. You stay true. Hang on to what the Word of God says is, is for you. Go after it. So the brothers see what Joseph has and he's got this nice coat. We've talked about it before. It's not a coat of many colors. It's more than likely a long sleeve coat. And it signifies leadership, management. These are the folks that wore this. And uh, they took that off of him because it showed that he ruled over them. It reminded them of this dream. They don't like that. 
They do not want to see Joseph excel. But you understand this, pulling Joseph down didn't pull them up. Pulling other people down, folks, will not pull you up. They're trying to get you all out there thinking all nasty things about the rich people. Don't think nasty things about the rich people. Thank God for rich people. I forget the, the exact figures. I had them uh, before, but if you look at the top 10% of the earners in there, they pay something like 65 to 70% of all taxes. And every time they do a tax cut, who do they always say? Oh, we always blame. Well, they're giving it to the rich. How can the rich pay that much taxes and not get a tax cut if you do anything? Won't happen. So don't you sit there and be all oh, this. Well, rich people, they ought to do. No. <laughs> rich people are paying more than their fair share. What we need is a slimmer government. That's all we need. They're just, I mean, they, they, they spend money on stuff. I mean, really, do we really need to study the mating habits of seals? Is this really going to help us out in life? I mean, if, we're, if, if everything is prosperous and doing well, then fine, go study them. But if you're not trying to tighten the belt, do we, does it really matter? I mean, how little butterflies get born, does, does it affect us? just don't think it does. I think we can let some things go. We can let some studies go. We don't necessarily need them. I heard, uh, I heard just recently they funded a, the government funded a study to find out the effects of malt liquor and marijuana in people. Malt liquor and marijuana in people. How many of you do you, how many of you here need a study from the government to tell you what that does to people? I don't think we need a study. I think we're okay on that one. <laughs> oh, man. I think we can cut that one out. What do you think? There's a whole lot more stuff like that. I mean, cut these things out. Stop cutting down on the police and the fire people and the, all this other stuff. Oh, man. But see, it's envy. This is exactly what Joseph's brothers fell into. They were envious of what Joseph had because Joseph earned it and they didn't. They wanted someone to give them what they did not earn. Don't get into that. If you get into that, you have, you have swallowed the wrong hope. The wrong hope. And the wrong hope will not lead you down the right way. So he's got this hope, being a ruler. And the brothers see him. We're tired of this thing. We're going to pull this guy down. So they, they do so. Where we leave off? Verse 20. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dream. But Reuben heard it. He delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness and do not lay a hand on him that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Now, Reuben had ulterior motives here. Reuben had fallen out of grace with his father and he wanted to get back into it by rescuing the young son. So he was going to sneak him on back, present him there and says, these guys were going to kill him, but I saved him. This is a wonderful household to live in, isn't it? We've spent some time looking at this household before. This is, a, this is not the household that you would have wanted to have been in. But this is where they are. 
So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors or the long sleeve coat that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. That's a good thing. Probably if you get thrown into a pit of water, it's probably not good. And they sat down to eat a meal. Apparently real concerned for what they're doing. And they lifted their eyes and looked and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh and on the way to carry them down to Egypt. So Joseph said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh. Oh, yeah, now. And his brothers listened. So Judah decides, well, I'm not trying to buy favor with that. I just want money. <laughs> so they get some money and they have some extra spending money. I don't know how they justify this to their dad, but um, somehow they get past that. Then, then Midian traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Well, that's where they were heading. Now, if you're Joseph, you've got a dream. And you see the dream coming about. I'm rising in leadership in my house. My father respects me. Other people that are around respect me. I'm a hard worker. I'm getting things done. He sees himself rising up. And then all of a sudden, this day comes. What would happen to the typical person's hope? Man, we would be, we would be sad. We would be, this isn't supposed to happen. Now, turn it around for yourselves. You know the Word of God has promised you prosperity and thank God for prosperity and then all of a sudden, you lose your job. You get a pay cut. Or something major happens at home and you got to put money out for that. And your hopes... For where you're going, we're dashed. Oh, man, you're set back on this thing. I thought God was doing this. What happened? Why did it go this way? And you're not sure. This, this isn't part of the plan. I was supposed... I mean, I'm, I'm heading there. God was blessing me. My finances were getting stronger. I'm paying this thing off. I'm paying this thing off. And I'm having extra money. And I'm putting some stuff aside. I'm being wise with it. And not just being frivolous and buying everything. But you know, I've got my goals and... And God has given me goals and given me things to do, pointing me in direction with the money. And I was, why does this happen? Why did this go on? But this is what God said. And now, this is going on. Now, you don't have to just individually lose your job for that. You could just be going along, having a good old job, and enjoying yourself. And the economy bottoms out. And everybody's blaming somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault. But it doesn't matter. People aren't buying as much stuff and people aren't, aren't doing some things. And the job you had, it kind of slowed down. I don't understand this. How come this is going on? And your hope for a bright future is becoming dim. It's not looking so good. We've been through those things, haven't we? This isn't good. I'm not expecting this. What do we do when these surprise things come up? Just as Joseph did. Just as Elijah had that surprise thing come up. Just as John the Baptist had some stuff happen that he's not quite prepared for. And it gets him discouraged. And there's other people in the Word of God that you can look at. They didn't know about some of the negative things that were going to come in. Oh, what's good if God says, Joseph, you are going to rule and reign. 
that your brothers, your, your father, and your mother are going to come bow down to you. But before that happens, you're going to be taken to a foreign land and made a slave. And they're going to get mad at you when you're a slave and they're going to put you in prison. But don't worry, I know you're there. And you will be in the place that I want you and I will raise you up. How many of you know that would be easier if Joseph heard that? And some people did hear that. We looked at them last week. Peter heard that. Paul heard that. Jesus knew that. And it was the cross was easier for him to endure. Not that it was easy, but it was easier because he knew it was coming. He knew what was there. He knew what to, to expect. But Joseph's not knowing this. All he has in the dream is you're going to rule and reign. Everyone's going to come and bow down to you. This is good. I don't understand. Where did this part come from? Why? Why am I in prison? Why am I a slave? How does this fit in? This I I can't be raised up to a place of leadership. I can't be raised up to a place of reigning in, in amongst people when I'm here. You said my mother, my father, my brothers would come and bow down. I'm nowhere near them. Do you think these thoughts are going through Joseph's head? I mean, they'd be going through mine. But they'd be going through yours. Oh, Father God, I wish I lived a couple decades ago when things were prosperous and things were good. Oh, it's so hard now. I don't know what to do. How many of us have said that? You know why we said that? Because our hope is based on whether the economy is doing good or not. It's not based on the Word of God. It's not based on the promise that God has given us. If it was based on the promise, then it doesn't change. Remember what we talked about last week? Don't be led into a hope. Follow one. Too many people that circumstances that come up around them push them into a certain hope. But that's not what God wants. God says, follow after the promise. Follow after the promise. Don't veer to the right or to the left. Follow after the promise. If there's some negative aspects of that promise and God has told you about it, like he, Jesus gave us that promise that prosperity was coming, good things were coming with persecutions, with tribulations. Ah, oh, we don't like that so much. Hey, but when He promises you're going to be dragged before the courts, I don't like that part. Can we take that one out? I like the part where He says you'll inspire me to say things, but I don't like the part about being dragged before the courts. This isn't fun. We just we want to pick and choose what aspects of the promise that we like. And get rid of some of the other ones. I don't like that one. Can I you just throw that one out? So Joseph, he's seen this slow climb into the position that God has called him to. Into the place that God has said. And he's seen this. He's on the path. He's on the right path. He's going in the right direction. And then all of a sudden, he's in the bottom of a pit. And they're discussing the price on his head. And he gets sold. Now, I sure like to know, I, if I'm Joseph, I, I think I'm still arguing this to this day. First off, I didn't get anything out of this. Somebody sold me, but they didn't own me. But they sold me. And now i got to do what you say, and i got to be your servant, your slave, because someone else did something against me and captured me and threw me into a pit, and then they saw you, and they decided to sell me to you. If I'm Joseph, I have a problem with this. This isn't good. 
I don't think this is right. And I'm, I'm looking for an opportunity to escape. And I'm, the whole time I'm saying, God, you know this isn't right. <laughs> I shouldn't be here. You didn't call me to this. This isn't my hope. This isn't the promise that I have. And I'm getting out as soon as I can. I'll be a good soldier. until they, I'll let them trust me. But as soon as they trust me enough and there's an open door, I'm out of here. I'm gone. Wouldn't you do that? My, I don't know. I, I think I would do that too, especially if I don't have the negative side of the promise that God says, you're going to be a prisoner for a while. You're going to be a slave for a while. Oh, all right, then I'll have to endure it. But I didn't hear that in the dream. Joseph's not talking about this aspect of it. I think if God would have told him that, he would have something would have been mentioned in Scripture. But we don't have it. So this is a this is a jolt into an unexpected demotion. And it's his brothers who betray him. Someone close to him. You think someone close to you has betrayed you? Think of Joseph. Now, if you're Joseph, you may wonder, is dad coming after me? Because dad loves me. So he may wonder if his father will come after him. Because dad loves me the most. And if I don't come back, surely, surely he's going to send somebody out. And he may have just gone along with the ride and not given him any trouble simply because dad's going to find me. People just know stuff. They just, you know, they all meddle in each other's business. They all know stuff. So his dad would come on down and he would say, did you see such and such a person get sold into, into to some of these traders? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They went, they went down to Egypt. And the dad would head on down to Egypt and he'd start asking around. Did some traders come through? Did they sell a young Jewish boy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Potiphar, I think he's the guy who got him. And he'd come over to Potiphar's house. Potiphar, you have my boy. Well, I paid for him. He's my slave. No, he's, he's my boy. I don't know how you got him a slave, but I sent him out as my boy and I'm bringing him back. It's my boy. <laughs> he's coming with me. <laughs> he's my son. I don't know if he would offer to reimburse him whatever he was that he lost. And then if he did, guess he'd be going back to get it from <laughs> Sons, come in here for a moment. We got some talking to do. Whatever it was, don't you think he would do that? How many of you, if you are Joseph, because you don't know the rest of the story, you don't get to read this. If you're Joseph, you're thinking, Dad's coming. I know Dad's coming. Surely Dad's coming. And you head on down there and you're waiting the whole, the, the whole week. Well, surely Dad's figured out by now that I'm not coming back with the rest of them. Surely he's getting ready to, to come out on a trip. How long does it take to get from there? To, oh, it's going to take, all right, it's going to take this long. And he's counting the days. All right, well now... He should be getting somewhere around. He should be asking around finding out where I am at. And don't you think he's counting all this stuff out? He has no idea that they gave them the story that he's dead. And gave him evidence. He doesn't know all this stuff. He's got to be thinking, Dad's coming. After a while, you figure out, Dad's not coming. After a while, you kind of lose that hope that Dad would be coming. And you're thinking, oh man, I'm stuck here. Can you imagine the day in Joseph's life after weeks of waiting for Maybe Dad's coming. Maybe Dad will be here. Because I know what God has called me to and this isn't it. I know there's a deliverer out there for me. I know Dad's coming because you don't mess with Dad, especially when you mess with me. Dad's coming. I know it. 
And when, eventually one day it dawns on them, it's not coming. What happens to Joseph Hope on that day when he realizes Dad's not coming? Is the dream I had a lie? Is all the things that my family said about the dream right? They all said it was wrong. They all said it wasn't true. But I really felt in my spirit this came from God. I really felt in my spirit this is what God was calling me to. I know that they didn't see it, but boy, I tell you, I, I just knew it. I knew it. Don't you think he wrestled with that sometimes? There all by himself? Just... Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. He was 30 years old when he came to the throne in Egypt. It was 13 years he waited. 11 years as a servant. And around two years, at least two years, as a prisoner. When he was a servant and he rose up in the house of Potiphar, one of the highest men in the land... Maybe he's thinking, all right, maybe God can still pull this off. But then the thing with Potiphar's wife happens. And she tries to seduce him and then accuses him. And, and Potiphar, whether he believed or not, threw Joseph into prison. And because of Potiphar's standing, he threw him into Pharaoh's prison. And Joseph does not have the advantage to know that you will be a prisoner for some time. We're going to move you in the Pharaoh's prison because that's where I can raise you up. He doesn't know this. If he spent 11 years holding on to the hope of the promise and still going around talking to people, somehow he nurtured that hope. He built that hope up. He still meditated on that hope. He still would get in there, Father God, this is what you called me to. I know you called me to this. I know there were some days that he wavered on this when Dad didn't show up and he realized he's not coming. And it looked like this is where he was going to be. But eventually, Joseph got himself back to that place and he was believing in the vision again. And he knew what God would have him do. And then he gets dealt another blow and thrown into prison. How many of you of your Joseph said, Dear God, do you know how hard it was to maintain that hope in the promise that you gave me for 11 years waiting for that day when I would be elevated to do whatever it is that you've called me to do. And now, for no good cause, I'm thrown into prison for a crime I didn't commit for someone who had no cause to accuse me. And Potiphar had no reason to believe this. He knew better. He knew his wife and he knew me. Oh, can you imagine the first few days in prison for Joseph? How many of you, if you were Joseph, thinking, well, this is it. I just, I'm just i going to do something. They'll kill me for it. And then it'll be all over. Because to keep pressing in, to keep hoping, it's hard. I did it for 11 years. Father God, I built that dream back up. Inside of I was still believing that you were going to do it. Now I'm in prison. What can you possibly do with me in prison 
And you know, there had to be some days that he just laid around. And just, he didn't go to work right away and say, all right, let me, let's get to the top. He didn't say that. He had to just lay around there for a little while and say, there's nowhere I can go. Life is just not worth it. Oh, this is so hard. But after a while, he built himself back up. He got himself back in to the Joseph mode. He believed in the vision and he set out to be who he was. And people saw Joseph being Joseph and began to elevate him and move him up. As we talked about this before, Potiphar probably told the, the guard, I don't think he really did this. But I have to, to do something or else I'll have trouble at home. You know how my wife is. Oh, I know how your wife is. Yeah. <laughs> I met her before. I know what she's like. Yeah. All right, we'll take care of it. We know. And so it didn't take long for Joseph to rise up because people already knew about him. And he already probably had a good word put in for him. But Joseph had to want it. He had to build up that dream on him, him again. And the head of the prison began to put more and more in charge with Joseph. Who ever heard of a prisoner in charge of the prison? So how many of us would find this situation hard if it lasted a year? A whole year. How many of us would find it hard if it lasted for five years? How many of you would find it hard if it lasted for ten years? Thirteen years this went on. And no day looked better than another until one day some high ups were put in and they asked, would you interpret our dream? And he interpreted the dream and he said to the one, he says, when you get promoted and put back in your position, remember me for I was unjustly accused. I'm not in here for the right reasons. Remember me. And he probably said to Joseph, I will. I will. I've seen you operate down here. I know you, are, you, don't, you don't belong here. I'll, I'll put a word into Pharaoh. But when he gets in there and he gets restored, he's thinking, man, I almost got killed. And the other guy got killed. I almost got killed. I don't know if I want to push it. I'm just going to... I'm glad I'm here. Joseph, I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, you're on your own for right now. Some time went by and eventually a situation came up where a dream needed to be interpreted. The dream belonged to Pharaoh. And the almost executed leader says, I know someone if you think back when you were mad with me, put me in prison, but you took me back out, elevated me, I met a man in there, and we all had dreams, and he interpreted them, and he interpreted them right. I'll bet you if we bring him out, he can interpret your dream. And Pharaoh says, okay. Don't you know Joseph woke up on that morning? And it was just like any other morning. It was nothing different. There was nothing that showed him that today God would bring all this about. But Joseph got up with hope about the promise that God said was his, even though he's in prison. For a crime he didn't do, he still got up, he tended all his duties, he did all the things he needed to do, he was faithful in them. Even though the thought probably came in, why continue to be faithful? You have risen to the top 
of the prison. Who is going to come and bow down to you? Oh, I know that was going around in his thought. I know that the devil certainly sowed that into his, his head. Because there was a purpose for bringing Joseph to Egypt. There's a purpose in what Joseph was going to do there. And it was very important to forming the nation of Israel. But Joseph didn't know all this. All he knew was, today is just like any other day. And big deal, I am head of the prison. <laughs> oh, those thoughts must have come in and said, so, good for you. You are head of the prison. Oh, my. How good is that? Just wait till all these prisoners come and bow down. Oh, wait, that's not your brother's. That's not your dad. And that's not your mom. Hmm. Doesn't seem like that vision's going to come about, does it? So Joseph became a slave as a teenager and took charge in Egypt at age 30. But Joseph's words could easily have followed circumstances. So easy he could have just followed after that and spoke those circumstances and just said, Woe is me. I have been a faithful servant. I have been a faithful follower of God. I have believed the vision that God has put before me. And alas, it has failed. He could have done that, but he did not. As bad as we think our situations are, is it as bad as Joseph's? Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Whatever he sows. What did Joseph sow? Faithfulness. Dependability. He took his skills that God had given him, which were there for when he would become ruler, and he used them when he was not. He used those skills when he was not a ruler. As if he was. He just kept doing it. Because whatever a man sows, he didn't have this verse, but we do. <laughs> whatever a man sows, Father God, you've given me these abilities, you've given me this talent, you've given me these things to do, I'm going to keep sowing this talent, I'm going to keep doing this. I've got some promises in your word, things that you tell me, if I continue to do the things that you've called me to do. For he who sows in the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. What's sowing to the flesh? If you've got a flesh hope and you sow to it, you're going to reap the flesh hope. If you've got a godly hope and you sow to it, you're going to reap the godly hope. But you've got to keep sowing. You've got to keep sowing. How long did Joseph sow? And it was more than 13 years. He was 17 years old when he went in. He had been sowing for a long time before that, so much so that his father saw how much better he was than his brothers. He just kept sowing. And despite all the brothers around saying, you're no good, you're lousy. Who are you to rule over us? He kept sowing. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. What is due season? Well, for Joseph, it was 13 years plus whatever time it was he was 
sowing before, before he reaped that end of that uh, dream, that end of that hope. For Abraham, how long was it that he sowed until he got the promise? It was a long time, wasn't it? I think uh, Abraham was uh, 24 years until finally God came to him and said, all right, one year from now it's going to happen. 25 years. It's a long while. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Oh, why does he say all? I mean, there's certain ones you like to... Not that one. Not, not this one. Of, not this one. Come on, God. What are you talking about? As we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Christians especially. Christians especially. <laughs> mm. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Two times we get exhorted to do this. Two times. Do not grow weary in doing good. First Timothy 6.17 Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good. That they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Well, you keep doing good what you got. Well, I don't have what that person does. Until I get what that person does, I'm not going to do it. You're not responsible for what that person has. You're responsible for what you have. Do good with what you have. Amen. One widow came along and she gave a real small amount of money. Jesus said she, he, she gave more than all of them. Because she gave out of her poverty. They all gave out of their wealth. Jesus looks at what are you giving compared to what you have. The big thing now is everybody wants us to compare with what we have with what others have and they should give up to have, so we have more. It's the wrong way of thinking. As long as you keep thinking that, you're not going to have the Bible hope, what God says. Because God says, be faithful with what you have and more will be given. But you've got to be faithful with what you have. It's so irritating with those folks in Washington, Congress, how generous they are with your money. How stingy they are with their own. I saw the stats on it before. Congressmen, people in Washington, government types. That you look at how much people who pay taxes give to charities. And then you go over to the government types, and the people in Congress and such, and you look at what they give. Most of those don't even give, they give less than 1% of their income. To any charity. But boy, they're going to give your money away. I get so irritated with people who are generous with other people's money. Be generous with your own. Be faithful with what is your own. That's what we got to do. That's what you got to do. Stop adapting this mentality that says 
No, as soon as I get something from here, as soon as this comes through, as soon as I win the lottery, <laughs> then, if you're not faithful with what you have, why in the world is God going to give you more? Well, He gives it to worldly people. That's all they've got. They're not His kids. He can't train and develop them, but He can train and develop you. And He wants to train and develop you, not for this life, but for the life that comes. That is our hope. That is our promise. That's what God wants to do. He says, Oh, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, what was given to you. Not just money, not just stuff, but God has committed to you to knowledge of His Word. Guard it. Guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge by professing that some have strayed concerning the faith. There was a comic, a Peanuts cartoon, had Lucy and Linus together. It was uh, on the hope and the truth. Lucy's looking outside and Linus is sitting there with her and the rain is pouring down. And Lucy says, boy, look at the rain. If it keeps raining like this, we're going to have a flood. Wipe us all out just like it did in Noah's day. And Linus, of course, he came on back and said, in the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is in the rainbow. To which Lucy replied, you've taken a great load off of my mind. So Linus said, sound theology has a way of doing that. (laughs) Sound theology has a way of doing that. Yeah, believe what the Word of God says. Have your hope based on what God says. Not what the government is doing. Not what the government has promised. Not what the government is going to do to you. Not what the economy is going to do to you. Not what your job is going to do to you. But what has God promised you? Hold on to that. Stay with it. I wrote this in my outline. It's not in yours. Faith. I changed it around a couple of times. I've got to make sure I got this right. Faith or belief is reflecting now the hope of tomorrow. Faith or belief is reflecting now the hope of tomorrow. You are called to be a reflection. Remember we talked to you about, I think it was last week, about your countenance, how your countenance ought to reflect the hope that you have. Oh, be reflecting. You look at some people, you wonder what in the world, what kind of hope do they have? There are some people who think they have a faith problem when actually they have a hope problem. Now abide these three. Faith, hope, and love. We can't just focus on the first and the last. Hope is in there. Some folks have a hope problem. They're believing the wrong end to a current problem. Hope, as we told you before, you can have negative hopes. You can have hopes, you can have godly negative hopes which have a glorious end or you can have worldly negative hopes which are bad. Talk to some people. How's it going? It's bad and it's only getting worse. What is their hope? Is that not their hope? Do they not have a hope that it is going to get worse? And what do they do about that hope? They speak it out. 
It's only going to get worse. The economy is so bad now, but I just know it's going to get even worse. How's your, they'll ask you, how's your job going? My job's going good. Well, it won't be for long. <laughs> they have a hope about you. And they're going to speak it out. If you talk to people in the beginning of the flu season, what do they say? Oh, it's the flu season. I just know I'm going to get the flu. I just know my, oh, I felt a little tickle in my throat. I think that's it. I think, sure enough, I, I know I better go home and, what if they have a hope for something, don't they? The hope to get the flu. Some people have the hope to get a cold. Some people have a hope that I haven't had a headache all day. I just know I'm going to get one tonight. They have a hope for a headache. Why would you want to hope for a headache? I don't know, but people do. They hope to lose their job. I just know my job's next. They cut so-and-so yesterday. They cut three people last week. I just know they're going to cut me next. What's their hope? And when they have that hope, what do they do with it? They speak it out. They are constantly proclaiming the hope that they have. I just know this isn't going to be there. When the, the brothers had a hope for Joseph. That's not going to happen. You're not going to roll and reign over us. And then they eventually hoped that he would die. And we're going to carry it out. They had that hope. Did they not speak it out? Did they not say, here comes this dreamer? People have hopes about you. Glory to God. They can't inflict them on you unless you let them. You go out there and you speak something different. But reflect the hope that you have. What is the hope that God has given you? Talk to some people. You should reflect it. We're not talking about denying the present. Bethel was quoting that uh, stuff we had before. But it's, it's not denying the present. It's acknowledging a different future. That's all that it is. I don't have to deny where I am. I am simply acknowledging this is where I'm going. That's what God has said. What is Joseph doing? God has called me to rule and reign. He has called me into a leadership position. People are going to come and bow down to me. Even my own family is going to come and bow down to me. But Joseph, you're in prison. It doesn't matter where I am. This is what God has said. This is what God has called me to. This is what's going to happen. I notice one thing that is missing from the story of Joseph. When Joseph is brought up before Pharaoh and he interprets the dream, he says, let Pharaoh find a man in the kingdom to head up this. He does not say, I'll do it. He says, Pharaoh's wise, you find a man. This is what he needs to do. This is what he needs to accomplish. And Pharaoh says, who can we get that's better than you? You know what's missing from the Word of God? Joseph never does the dance of joy. There is no dance of joy from Joseph. He says, all right, let's get to work. You know why? Because Joseph has lived this out. He keeps living this out. He keeps seeing it. He keeps speaking it over. God, you've called me to rule and reign. You've called me to roll the rain. Now it's all of a sudden here. He says, all right, now we can get started. I've been waiting for this day. I've been getting ready for this day. Here we go. There's no dance of joy. He just gets right to work. You need to stop believing and proclaiming or speaking the hope of circumstances and go after the hope of the Word of God. Stop going after the hope of circumstances. Stop going after the stuff that's, that's here in front of you. 
It's easy to have hope for what circumstances tell you is going to come upon you. It's harder to have hope for what God has promised. But hang on to the hope. And when you go through the... You might go through some of those dry times. 13 years. What's God doing? He's putting Joseph in a place where he can raise him up. Is God mad with Joseph? Is God saying, well, Joseph, you messed up in the first 17 years. You're going to pay for it for 13. Then I'll think about bringing you up into what I want you to do. He doesn't do that. But Joseph, I'm sure Joseph has some downtimes, but he kept coming back and kept going over. This is the promise. There's not one single time God ever rebuked Joseph and said, Joseph, you doubted me. Not one single time. Joseph kept pulling himself up by the bootstraps and saying, this is what God has hope. God's hope is for me. Listen to your words. Your words speak your hope. They speak it all the time. They speak about your health. They speak about your finances. They speak about how people will respond to you, whether people like you, your job future. They speak it all the time. When you were in school, and some of you are, kids are here today, some of you are still in school. How many of you, after taking a test, have come out to others and have said, I know I failed it. I know I failed it. What are you doing? What is your hope? My hope is I failed it. No, no, I don't hope I failed I hope I passed. No, you don't. If you hoped you passed it, you come out and say something about it. You don't hope you passed it. Your hope is that you failed. You may wish you passed it, but that's not your hope. There's a difference between wishing and hoping. Hope is what you are pretty certain is coming about. Hope is what you want to come about. You got to get the want to and the certainty tied together. I got to want what God says will certainly happen. I've got to want it. Oh, I do want it. But I just, I'm, I'm afraid. Get the fear out. We've got to get the fear out. Get, get rid of all that stuff. Stop being afraid to trust what God said. Amen. Stop being afraid. Amen. Don't you worry about it. Trust begins with the unexpected. When unexpected stuff happens in life, what's going to happen to you? Are you going to throw it all up in the air? Or are you going to stay on and keep on going? That's what God wants us to do. Glory to God. We're still in the first part of the series. We've got to get the confession part down because the Word of God says that we've got to hold fast the confession of our... Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What do you hope for? What do you hope for? Sometimes we say, oh, I don't dare hope for that. I'm not worthy of it. Dear Lord, you've got a word in this problem then. We hope for what the Word of God promises us. We hope for whatever God has spoken to us and said, Steve, this is what's going to happen. We hope for that. And everything will come against it. Because Satan loves to crush godly hopes. And he has crushed many of them. But he does not have to crush yours. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Did you put that up anywhere prominent yet? 
get it somewhere, get it memorized, and keep mulling over it. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope and don't substitute faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. There's other places that have confessions of faith. This one is not talking about that. It is talking about the confession of your hope because He who promised is faithful. Hope is for things yet future. Faith can be on things future and things present. But hope is always for things future. So if you're going to hold fast the confession of your hope, you're going to hold fast the confession of those things that are not yet. Just as Joseph had the promise, I will rule, I will reign. People will come and bow down to me. And don't you know when they all did, he didn't stop them? He didn't tell them who he was long. He had them bow down a few times. He didn't just have them bow down once. He had them come back and bow down again. He had them come back after that and bow down again. And then finally, he gets up there and says, I'm your brother. And they all bow down again. <laughs> he says, no, no, you can get up now. We had enough of that. <laughs> oh, boy. Hold fast the confession of your hope. We're going to spend some time here coming down the road and we're going to build on what these hopes are. What is it that I can hope for? What are some biblical hopes? What are some general hopes? What are some specific hopes for me? But before we can do any of that, we've got to hit all the ins and outs. You've got to know about the negative, the positive, and all the things that can come against the confession of our hope. Because the purpose of this verse is to hold fast the confession. The focus is the confession. The confession is of the hope. But the focus is on the confession. It is not good enough to have a hope. You must confess it. Amen. You must confess it. We've got a whole lot of kids going off in the... Kids are growing up now, but... Going off in the college here this year. Amen. How many of you have put it into your confession? I am going to... Wherever it is. John's over there. I'm going to... Georgetown. Yeah. Are you going to Georgetown? I was going to just ask you, which one did you decide on? Because you had a few of them there. <laughs> did we not have that as our confession? I am going. Hasn't You're not there yet. I mean, right? You're not there yet. You haven't checked in yet, have you? You haven't got any books yet. You don't have any teachers yet, do you? But where are you going? Going to Georgetown. Is that not a hope? Is that not a confession? Yes. Will you let go of that? Uh-uh. No, sir. We're not going to let go of it. That's what we got to do. I have the hope. It is future. I am confessing it as now because I see the future as my present. And I never have to deny where I am now to confess what is coming. Would you all stand up? Glory be to God. Oh, Father, we thank you. Every head bowed. Glory to your name. If you're here this morning and you do not, do not have that hope of the future, if you don't have the very basic hope that you know for sure, I'm going to heaven. Boy, we don't want you to leave here this morning without that opportunity. Raise your hand if you say, I want to know for certain that if I were to step out of here and die, I don't have that hope, but if I, that, that, that did happen, that I would be in heaven. If you don't have that hope, 
here this morning, raise your hand up. We want to pray for you before you leave. I want that hope today. I don't want it tomorrow. I want it today. If you want that, just raise your hand up. We'll pray for you. Don't want anybody to go without that. If you're here and you say, I've been confessing the wrong hope. I have latched on to worldly hope. And I've been confessing out of my mouth. This won't happen. I won't get that. This isn't coming about. I don't know that God can do that for me. I'm here in prison. How in the world can He? Uh Uh-uh. If you're in that position and you've been confessing worldly hope. Nobody's looking around right now. Everybody's eyes closed, heads bowed. Raise your hand. I'm going to change that. I'm changing my confession. I'm no longer going to be confessing things of the world. I'm confessing things of my Father. Things of His Word. Things of the promise. I see those hands. Now hang on to those things. Do not let them go. Because the Word of God says, Hold fast. And when you get into some of those dark times, and it seems like the world is beating on you to let go of that hope, you think of Joseph. How hard it was the first day he was in prison. How hard it was when he was being carted off into, to be a, a slave, servant, sold. How hard it was when he finally realized his dad wasn't coming for him. You think about that. You say, Father God, I'm in pretty good shape. You think about Jesus and what he had to go through. You can think about others. Think about what would happen to Elijah to make a man that powerful, that strong in God, ready to die. Think of John the Baptist. The man who went before proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ the way of the Messiah. He said, are you sure this is him? Father, you've seen our hearts. You know our thoughts. And you surely hear our speech. Father, we want our words to reflect the hope of our calling. The hope that you have given us. The promises of your word. And not the things that are going on in this life. And what's going on in this world. Thank you, Father, for the good things that you have ahead for us. And we know that some of those promises may have some hard times along the way. But they always lead to a glorious end. Lord, we thank you for it. We can tell real easy the difference between worldly hope and godly hope. Because godly hope always has a glorious end. Father, we thank you for it. We look to you and give you the honor and the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.